hey, hey, film fans! Welcome in to a very special episode of the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, the founder of the feast that is the SDFP. It is January 30th, 2019, otherwise known here in Michigan as Polar Vortex Day 3. It is a balmy negative 3 degrees outside. The wind is blowing, the snow is drifting, everything is closed, everyone is freaking out, the world is ending, but the podcast must go on. I appreciate you listening in here today for episode 28 of the show. I'm flying solo today because, as I mentioned, it's a very special episode. Today, I will be running down the top 25 films I saw in 2018. You know, it seems like everyone loves a good countdown, so there you go. Uh, Before I do that, I want to tell you how to get in touch with the show. We are on SoundCloud and iTunes. That's where you can find a lot of our old episodes. If you just go to the search bar and search Second Day Film Podcast. We're on social media on Facebook. Go ahead and search Second Day Film Podcast. On Twitter at Second Day Film. That's all written out. You can email us at secondayfilm at gmail.com. And we are also on Instagram at the Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, Give us a rating. Give us a like. Give us a review. Let us know what we suck at. Let us know what we're good at. Tell us what you want us to see and what you want us to hear. Uh, We are looking for your input. Like I said, Snowpocalypse 2019 here in Michigan. That was not a sound effect. It was a fire truck running to go save somebody stuck in a snowbank, I'm sure. Anyways, moving on. A couple disclaimers before I sort of uh, start my countdown here. Um, I'm going to be doing this sort of rapid fire style, quickly touching on the things I liked about these films. I'm not going to go too in-depth because most of them we've previously talked about on other pods. And like I said, you can go back and find those episodes uh, on SoundCloud and iTunes. They're all there. Um, Obviously, I'm just one man, so I have not seen everything that came out in 2018. Obviously, doing a film podcast, I watch a lot of movies. Uh, I make an effort to go see the quote-unquote top movies of the year. Uh, That being said, I can't see everything, so there are a few notable movies I haven't seen. Um, I did, however, see 75 of the movies uh, that were released in 2018. Um, And for my purposes, by released, I mean theatrically released. Uh, Some of these movies may have actually premiered at film festivals in late 2017 uh, and whatnot, Uh, but, but I'm basing this off when the masses could see them. Usually people do top 10 lists at the end of each year. Uh, I decided to do a top 25 because, like I said, we've talked about many of these films previously on other podcasts. And as I've said before, part of the point of this show is to point out films that maybe people missed or they slipped through the cracks or they just hadn't heard of them because they're smaller releases. And I think by doing 25, it gives me more of a chance to uh, do that, to, to point people in a direction if they're looking for recommendations. Uh, One other thing before I start, there may be some slight spoilers in the films I'm going to talk about, uh, but as I said before, I don't plan to get too in-depth, so you should be okay. Uh, With that in mind, let's get to it. At number 25 is a movie called Isle of Dogs. This movie hit theaters back in April. It is directed by none other than Wes Anderson. Uh, The plot summary in IMDb, set in Japan, Isle of Dogs follows a boy's odyssey in search of his lost dog. Uh, This movie, like all of Wes Anderson's uh, movies, has a highly unique uh, style to it. 
This one is animated in sort of the stop motion animation, uh, but it, but it's super stylistic. It's it's a quirky movie filled with dry humor and that sort of classic Wes Anderson style that uses 70s music, title cards, multiple languages, breaking of the fourth wall. Uh, it's got all of it. Um, it's a story about a boy and his love for his dog, uh, which is something I think we can all relate to. You know, the, there's dog characters mixed in throughout that talk like humans but embody dog characteristics. Uh, this movie really gets into the, the question of what dogs would say if they could talk and how they would have different personalities and how they would use things from their past experiences to, to guide the way that they act in the future. Uh, this, is, this is a world that we're lived in uh, that is completely made up, but it feels real. So all these dogs have sort of their own histories and uh, how they sort of react is, is quite interesting. Uh, we go on a fun journey throughout this movie um, and it's a world where the emperor of the Nagasaki city is trying to blame all the co country's issues on dogs and sort of using them as a scapegoat um, and they've been exiled to Trash Island. Um, but, but it's a fun movie, it's super quirky, I just had the grin on my face the whole time. And, and for a movie about a bunch of dogs, it really does an amazing job of making us think about who we are as humans. So Isle of Dogs comes in at number 25. Uh, it was nominated for Best Animated Feature this year. Uh, go check it out. If you want to hear our full podcast, we reviewed that in late April. It's episode 8 of the Second Day Film Podcast. At number 24 in my countdown of the top 25 movies of 2018 is The Hate You Give. Uh, this movie came out in October, but I actually just saw it a couple days ago. The plot summary in IMDb, Star witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend Khalil at the hands of a police officer. Now, facing pressure from all sides of the community, Star must find her voice and stand up for what's right. This movie was directed by George Tillman Jr. and stars Amanda Stenberg in one of the best performances I saw all year. Uh, this is the girl, some of you might recognize her, she played Rue in the Hunger Games series, um, but she's really grown up in this movie, and she's really what drives this movie. She has hits all the right notes throughout it. Um, when she finally learns to find her voice and stand up at the end, it's a really moving sort of experience. Um, this is a super timely movie, obviously. Uh, lots of talk in the news about, you know, unjustified killings with police officers and particularly young black men. Uh, that's right at the center of this movie um, and something that it doesn't really shy away from. Uh, it's, a, it's a main theme throughout it. But what I really liked about this movie is how it takes a personal look at, to, at how it affects a singular person. Um, Star is obviously caught in the middle of this because she witnesses the actual shooting. So there's people in her community uh, that want her to, to stand up and, and uh, you know, say something, but there's forces from the outside that are causing her to stay quiet or maybe she wants to. Star herself is lives in this uh, fictional poor community, um, but goes to an upper middle white school. Um, so she has a lot of internal struggle with herself when she uh, acts differently when she's in the two different communities. Um, and ultimately she learns that she needs to just be herself through and through. Um, and the way she does this is set against this super timely backdrop. Um, there's great music, uh, contemporary music uh, littered throughout this movie that I think really helps to set 
the urban setting. Um, but really, the reason you need to watch this movie is just because it's so timely and impactful. Um, and it's well done. It's done with respect to all sides. It tries to show all sides. It tries to show how um, it's more than just a black and white situation. It's, it's really dynamic and really changes based on what lens you're looking at through. Um, so for that reason alone, go see The Hate You Give. At number 23 is a film that's probably going to be one of the more surprising additions on any top film list from last year. Uh, it's a movie called Tag. Uh, this is a comedy uh, directed by Jeff Tomsick that stars a great cast led by Ed Helms, Lil Ray Helry, John Hamm, Annabelle Wallace, Jake Johnson, Ela Fisher, Hannibal Burris, and others. Uh, the plot summary on IMDb, a small group of former classmates organize an elaborate annual game of tag that requires some to travel all over the country. Um, this movie received mixed reviews uh, from, from real critics, um, but I had a great time watching it. First of all, the, the concept that these adult men would be playing this game of tag over the course of, of years and decades, uh, I think is really amusing and really provides a great start, launching point for a story. Um, this movie is based on a New York Times uh, article uh, that was published and because there's such a good cast in this and, and guys that really play well off each other um, I think the movie really works I was laughing throughout it uh, this movie makes use of slapstick humor um, in one of the, the better ways that I've seen recently. We've talked about on the pod previously about how in 2018, I think it's hard to make physical humor work. Um, but I think that it really does in this movie. It's funny. Um, there's clever jokes. There's uh, sort of set pieces to it. And uh, at the end, this movie has some heart as well. You know, we learn um, the, the friends are sort of fighting. There's conflict through them. Uh, throughout the entire movie, uh, but at the end, uh, they really come together, and you really see why these guys have been friends for so long. Uh, I think it was a movie that did a great job at balancing, you know, a, a comedic heart with actual comedy, um, and I just had a good time watching it, and when I lined up the movies at the end of the year, uh, Tag was still in the top, uh, top 25, so I'm gonna slide it in there. Um, go check it out. I think it's pretty funny. That's Tag, coming in at number 23. All right, coming in at number 22 is the first horror film on the list. It is A Quiet Place. Uh, this movie was released back in April and is directed by John Krasinski. Uh, the plot summary in IMDb, In a post-apocalyptic world, a family is forced to live in silence while hiding from monsters with ultra-sensitive hearing. This movie stars Krasinski alongside Emily Blunt and some very talented child actors. You know, the, the use of sound and music uh, to create suspense has long been an effective trope in the horror genre, um, but this movie relies on it basically 100%. Uh, there's not really any dialogue, there's very little action to carry the story, and I think this, this movie really is a masterclass at creating suspense. Uh, it really shows you how you can take things to the next level um, by using sound and music and it really shows how you can create an atmosphere um the family's using sign language the whole time uh there's lots of good world building in this movie showing like how this family is surviving or how they've made it this long or some of the tactics that they use to gather food and supplies during the day it does a good job making it feel like a really believable world that they've been living in um 
Blunt and Krasinski, you know you're going to get solid work from them, but, you know, the connection between them is obvious. I mean, they are real husband and wife, so that makes sense. Um, there's a scene where they're sort of slow dancing together, and they're both sharing earbuds um, because they they obviously can't make noise, but it's just a really sweet moment in what is an otherwise brutal movie. Uh, I think there's some really clever set pieces in this that really help to make you feel a sense of dread. There's one particular scene that takes place in like a grain silo that I think was really well done and really well shot. Um, and really, I just think that I admire the balls it takes to make a movie like this where you, you can't use one of your senses. You know, Bird Box has come out lately and, and it sort of limits the sense of sight. Um, but this one uses sound and, it, and a lot of people are pointing to A Quiet Place as sort of inspiration for Bird Box. It, it's not. Uh, the, the story Bird Box is based on came out a long time ago. Um, but I just really admire people who have an ambitious idea and are willing to, uh, you know, go for it. I think A Quiet Place worked really, really well. It's really artfully done in the way that it uses fear of silence and the quiet and the dark to terrify us. So definitely one of the better horror movies I've seen in recent years. Go check out A Quiet Place. All right, coming in at number 21 and rounding out the first five of my top 25 films of 2018 is Ready Player One. This is a movie that came out back in March and is directed by none other than Mr. Steven Spielberg. The plot summary on IMDb. When the creator of a virtual reality world called The Oasis dies, he releases a video in which he challenges all Oasis users to find his Easter egg, which will give the finder his fortune. Um, as I said, this movie is directed by Steven Spielberg. It was recently nominated for Best Achievement in Visual Effects for the Academy Awards, and that really is the thing you have to talk about when you talk about this movie. Um, there is some stunning visuals, both inside and outside the Oasis. Um, the main character here is from a place called the Columbus Stacks, which is sort of like this... Um, ghetto slum version of Columbus, Ohio, where trailers are basically stacked on top of each other. Uh, I love this idea that the earth has deteriorated into this overcrowded slum. I think that's a cool idea. Um, and from the first shot of this movie, we realize we're going to be in for a treat visually. Um, it's a super fun, unique adventure um, that has Spielberg's footprints all over it. Um, it almost feels like an amalgamation of E.T., and Minority Report um, in the way that it centers on the adventures of a group of kids, um, but it's set in sort of a dangerously high-tech future world. Um, I, I get a lot of Black Mirror parallels to this that sort of look at the dangers of technology and what could happen if we don't, uh, if we aren't careful and we don't uh, realize how we're interacting with technology. Uh, Black Mirror, great show on uh, now Netflix. Um, I think it's a fun idea that the users in the Oasis can create these avatars that are sort of from pop culture. And really, uh, pop culture is, is references are just littered throughout this movie. Um, you know, like things like the Iron Giant, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the Rangers from the Halo games are all actually featured in this movie along with countless others because people can just take the form of whatever they want when they're in the Oasis. And I love that it's sort of just like an ode to, to video games and uh, their place in American culture. Um, the entire thing almost feels like a homage to human culture. You know, the, the pop culture references from the early days of video games. They're set in this high-tech future world. Uh, it's sort of this meshing of eras of pop culture into one sort of seamless fun parade of uh, sort of uh, cameo appearances. 
Uh, I think the rewatchability in this movie will be great because you'll sort of pick up on different things or as you're looking at different parts on the screen, you'll notice different things. Um, Performance-wise, they're fine. I think Mark Rylance, who plays the creator of this game, is a standout. Um, he plays this sort of nerdy, quirky video game genius who speaks in this sort of strange, odd cadence. Um, but later in the film, he, he really comes off as sincere and not just a crazy, closeted nerd, you know, but someone who really wants to contribute to society and, and give back to this deteriorated world. But maybe he just lost his way a little bit and maybe went about it in the wrong way. Um, so overall, maybe people just slipped through the cracks. Like I said, it came back in March, but uh, Ready Player One is, is a visual feast. You'll have a great time watching this movie. I'm looking forward to watching it again once it comes out. Uh, so that's Ready Player One at number 21. All right, checking in at number 20 is a movie called Chappaquiddick. Uh, this movie came out in 2017 at one of the film festivals, but it didn't premiere in theaters until April of 2018. This movie is directed by John Kieran. Depicting Ted Kennedy's involvement in the fatal 1969 car accident that claims the life of a young campaign strategist, Mary Jo Kopechny. This movie stars several people, and but most notably Jason Clark, Kate Mara, Ed Helms, Bruce Dern, and Jim Gaffigan. Um, I think what I liked most about this movie is it sort of... Uh, has echoes of ESPN's 30 for 30 series and, and not so much in subject matter, but in the way that it sort of shines a spotlight and a microscope on a specific event that people may have forgotten about. It really um, looks at things from all angles and takes in the accounts of every single person who was involved, even in the slightest amount. So I really like the sort of technique they used to make this movie. Um, this movie deals a lot with the Kennedy legacy and with pride Jason Clark plays Senator Ted Kennedy, who is sort of considered the black sheep of the Kennedy clan. Obviously, being brothers with, with Robert and uh, JFK uh, is a lot to live up to. Um, but his battles, his internal struggle with how to deal with this, um, this, this tragedy that has happened to him, and whether or not he should come public and admit it, or if he should keep trying to hide and save, preserve the Kennedy legacy is a really interesting internal struggle that we see happen on screen. So I really like how the movie deals with that. I also like how this movie, while it's going on, um, or at least the time period when this took place, is also the same time that the moon landing was going on. And the presence of the moon landing um, is, is a constant sort of uh, reminder in this movie. It's constantly being brought up. And I thought that was smart because it sort of um, showed why maybe this event has sort of snuck to the back pages because all everyone ever cared about at that time was the moon landing. So I liked that that sort of incorporated into the script and the story. Um, I, I thought it was a little bit quirky at times, but overall I had a great time watching it because I just felt like it was such a fascinating story that I hadn't really heard of before. Anyways, I think that people need to see this movie. Check out Chappaquiddick coming in at number 20. At number 19 in my countdown is a movie I just talked about in the last pod. It's The Favorite, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, this movie stars Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz in the three lead roles. Um, it has to do with Queen Anne in 1700s England and sort of the, the ladies who are trying to, uh, you know, suck up to her, for lack of a better word. Um, Yorgos Lanthimos has his footprints all over this. Uh, super stylish and and weird, depending on how you look at it. Um, very specific mood and feel to this movie. 
Um, I think this movie is a little bit more watchable, as I said on the last pod, than some of Lanthimos' other movies. And I mean, it's more viewer-friendly for maybe some, someone who's not super into the stylistic and artsy movies. Um, that being said, it's still really wacky, so prepare for that if you watch it. This movie is buoyed by three incredible performances by three amazing actresses. Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, and Rachel Wise. Uh, the interplay between them is fantastic. They're just constantly, you know, trading verbal jabs, and uh, especially between Stone and Wise, as they sort of battle for the affection um, of the Queen. Um, I think that the movie looks amazing. It's filmed in a in a very specific style. Uh, Yorgos and his filmmakers do a great job to to use light and angles to. Per- portray mood um there's a lot of darkness in this movie that i think helps uh the music is great it's got sort of this orchestral string instrument most of the time um and it and it sort of helps to bring out just like the zaniness of the complete situation um like i said i just reviewed this on the last pod so i don't think i need to get into it too much more uh but the favorite comes in at number 19 for me My number 18 film of 2018 is going to be the first of several superhero films on the list. It is Black Panther. Uh, This movie takes place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and stars uh, Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, the King of Wakanda, also known as the superhero Black Panther. Um, This movie, getting all sorts of accolades, it's nominated for Best Picture, becoming the first superhero movie to be nominated for Best Picture. Um, this movie's resonated with a lot of people. I mean, it, it's, I think that it, it's, it's landmark in the way that it has been inclusive and it features an African-American superhero. It's brought all sorts of new people to the theaters and to the comic book genre. And of course, that was continued in Infinity War, which came out last year as well. The performances in this are great. Um, we have a great villain played by uh, Michael B. Jordan and Killmonger who has sort of a great justification for the things he's doing and I think that the dynamics between him and T'Challa are wonderful uh, the music in this is amazing there's lots of uh, African beats to it um, some urban rap music is, is mixed in um, and it really just feels like a movie that can be made for everyone and it's made for and in, with inclusivity in mind and that is really important in today's day and age um, the scenery looks good the set pieces are amazing um, Black Panther, really worthy of all the accolades it's gotten so far this year. Um, so it comes in at number 18 on my list. All right, moving right along to film 17 and 16 on my countdown. And I'm going to group these together because I really feel like they're sort of companion pieces. Uh, at 17 is 8th grade. This is a movie about an introverted teenage girl who tries to survive the last week of her disastrous 8th grade year directed by Bo Burnham, and finishing just ahead of that is Mid-90s, which is a movie directed by Jonah Hill, um, which follows Stevie, a 13-year-old in 1990s-era Los Angeles, who spends the summer navigating between his troubled home life and a group of new friends. Um, The reason I'm putting these together is because they're very similar in thematic nature and the things that they're sort of trying depicting. Uh, Both of them deal with uh, a, a preteen child trying to deal with things in a very specific way. Um, I think rarely have we seen movies that are set in middle school that aren't like a Disney-fied version or not a Disney Channel show starring the Olsen twins or Hannah Montana or stuff like that. Um, these movies are actual realistic and true takes on a very specific person. Um, and I think that 
approach is important. They're movies that people can actually relate to. They can watch a scene in the movie and be like, oh, hey, yeah, that happened to me, or wow, yeah, that happened happened back when I was in school. And um, I think that both Burnham and Jonah Hill, who are both in their directorial debuts in both of these movies, really have a really clever touch for the type of mood and atmosphere that they're trying to go for. Um, and, and it's because they lived the actual life. I mean, Burnham, no, he was not a, a teenage girl, but he was a teenage boy. So he kind of, you know, had to deal with teenage girls and deal with things in certain ways. Both of these kids are kind of outcasts, so it's important to show um, that not just the cool kids, you know, uh, are running around. There's kids like this as well. Um, eighth grade in, in particular shows the role of technology on today's middle school kids. Um, and how that can make things even worse if you're someone who's picked on or teased. Um, but I just think both of these movies do a great job of showing the challenges of adolescence. And really, you could put either one at 16 or 17. I think they're both really well done, but they both have the same core thing in mind. Just one has to do with a girl and one has to do with a boy. So I would recommend seeing both 8th grade and mid-90s. Rolling along to the top 15 is the political satire, The Death of Stalin. This movie is directed by Armando Iannucci, the plot summary on IMDb. In Moscow, 1953, after being in power for nearly 30 years, Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin takes ill and quickly dies. Now the members of his Council of Ministers scramble for power. Um, so this movie, as you can tell by that plot summary, is firmly set in the political satire genre. And I think despite being about a serious issue like the death of Joseph Stalin and set in a time of extreme tyranny, oppression, and fear, uh, this is easily one of the funniest movies I saw in 2018. It stars an ensemble cast that plays the sort of heads of state who are the men closest to Stalin, and it really uh, shows sort of the schemes and conniving for power that they all went through. This movie is quite obviously meant to make fun of Soviet Russia, um, Iannucci is known for this, um, but it's a movie starring a bunch of English actors who are all speaking perfect English while playing Russians. Um, so it's just so easily funny, and that's because of the script. Um, it, it's it's uh, it's it it doesn't have to work hard to be clever or witty, um, and it, it's because of the acting. It's because of the script, um, but this movie is just hilarious, you know, and it does things in a very unique way. Um, it's important to emphasize that things happening on screen aren't actually funny. Um, you know, it's, it has to do with people getting murdered and death lists and all stuff like this. Uh, but they go about it hilariously. Uh, the performances are awesome. Um, and it's just really, really clever. You know, there's uh, this boisterous, satiric Russian, like, Red Army music whenever a major character comes on screen, and Iannucci will just tell you who that person is. I just think it's so explicitly satirical that it's hilarious. Um, I had a really, really good time watching this movie, and it made me want to watch every other thing Iannucci has done, um, so go see The Death of Stalin. All right, number 14 is a small film called Lean on Pete. This movie is directed by Andrew Haig and stars Charlie Plummer. Uh, who some might recognize from the movie All the Money in the World that came out in 2017. Uh, Chloe Sevigny, Travis Fimmel, and Steve Buscemi are in the supporting cast. I really love this movie, and the main reason for it is because it felt so genuine and pure. It, it's, in reality, an unflinching, realistic portrayal uh, of a somewhat neglected kid in poverty who's living in unnoticed America. 
Um, this movie takes place in the rural Northwest, which is uh, where kind of anything goes and the rules are made to be broken. It's sort of like the Wild West. Uh, the story centers on Charlie and his relationship with a racehorse named Lean on Pete. Uh, it's a relationship that's both tragic and beautiful. Um, and while the horse is featured in the movie, it's ultimately about Charlie and the way that he sort of pushes forward to survive and how Lean on Pete helps him to get there. Um, it's definitely not the happiest of stories, um, but I think it's an important story to show how some people live and how some people are forced to live and how some people are just neglected and haven't really done anything wrong or earned anything to be in the situation they're in, but that's how it goes. Um, it does so in a real way that avoids melodrama. The supporting cast is great. It just feels like a really true story. And I think that anybody who watches it is really going to be impacted by it. So seek out Lean on Pete. Number 13 on my list is First Man, uh, director Damien Chazelle's follow-up to both Whiplash and La La Land. So this was a movie I was really looking forward to. It stars Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy and dramatizes the life of Neil Armstrong in the months and years leading up to the moon landing in 1969. Uh, this is a different kind of space movie. It's not some insane mission to Mars. It's not a grand space opera like Star Wars or Star Trek. There's no real grand adventure here. Uh, it's just a movie about history and the past. Uh, I like that there was a clear effort made to humanize Neil Armstrong and make him a relatable human character, um, which I think is important because Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon, I think over the years since 1969, he's taken this almost mythic status in American history. So I liked that the movie took time to develop his character by showing us that he's a family man first. He's reluctant in the spotlight. He's reluctant towards media. He dislikes the hyperbole around the mission. He's uncomfortable in the spotlight. I think these were all really important things to show. And Ryan Gosling, I think, really did an amazing job in this movie. Uh, I thought he been, should have been nominated for Best uh, Actor in a Leading Role. He was not, um, but I really liked it. This movie is really trying to show us what happened with the lunar landing. It's not dramatizing anything. Um, it, it really is showing details. It's very detail-oriented. It really tries to give us a full picture of what actually happened and how we actually got to the moon. I love Chazelle and the cinematography team. I think they do an incredible job utilizing scope and literal space to help add to the atmosphere and put us in the astronaut's shoes. Uh, there's a lot of first-person point-of-view shots inside the space capsules um, that help show us the claustrophobia and the sheer craziness of all of it. You know, there's some wide-angle shots uh, that show, like, the vastness of, the, of what they're actually looking at. There's lots of shots of eyeballs um, that sort of show what the actors or what the actual astronauts might have been going through and the actors do a great job of using their eyes to be like wow this is something we've never seen before the final moon landing sequence is a remarkable achievement um, i wasn't alive to watch the original moon landing um, but the way this is shot the movie almost feels like it could be video of the original landing uh, so for those reasons and so much more i loved first man um, check it out at number 12 is a movie that I don't think near enough people saw throughout the last year, and it's called Alpha. This movie uh, is set in the prehistoric past as a young man struggles to re return home after being separated from his tribe during a buffalo hunt. 
um, and he sort of finds a companion in a wolf. Uh, this movie takes place in the Ice Age, as I said. It might be the most beautiful movie I saw all year, just from a straight uh, production design, cinematography, directing. Uh, it, it was absolutely beautiful. This movie uses the landscape in the Ice Age that it's set in so well. Uh, we have the Aurora Borealis. We have frozen landscapes. We have r lush rivers. We have um, mountainous regions, cliff faces. I mean, this movie is like a painting come to life. It is, it's, it's remarkable to look at. And I thought it was excellently done. The story that we go on with this young man bonding with his wolf, um, what we find out with is this story is ultimately about the domestication of animals and how man realized that, hey, dogs, we can use them on our side. Um, so the final shot of the movie is a tribe walking with all their dogs. And it's, I think it's really powerful, awesome way to end the movie. But it's just a fascinating look at what life might have been like back then. And like I said, how this movie looks alone is enough to watch it. I think Alpha is one of the more underrated movies of the year. And I have it sliding in as the 12th best movie I saw in 2018. Go check out Alpha. Checking in at number 11 for me is a movie from director Jason Reitman. It's called Tully. The plot summary on IMDb, a struggling mother of three forms an unexpected bond with the night nanny hired to help her with her newborn baby. Uh, this movie stars Charlize Theron and Mackenzie Davis as the two leads. Um, it's a typical Jason Reitman film about unconventional family dynamics. Um, I love this movie. Charlize Theron is one of my favorite actresses. I just love everything about the way she goes about her business. Um, she's great in this film as a sort of loving but struggling mother. Um, she's overwhelmed by everything that comes along with motherhood, and, and that's really what the movie is about. You know, I don't think this movie was ne necessarily made for me because I, of course, am not a mother. Um, I'm not even a parent, and the crux of this movie is about what it really means to be, be a parent. You know, I think the film does a phenomenal job depicting some of the maybe the less glorified or glamorous side of being a mother, um, which which I would guess is most of it. <laughs> um, you know, you really get this feeling of what it means to be a parent, and it shows you uh, that you really are sacrificing so much of your own life for your kids, and to me that feels like a really genuine message. Um, Davis provides my favorite performance, even though Sharon Theron is one of my favorites. She shows up about 25, 30 minutes into the movie, and she has a presence. She's got this confident bubbly personality that immediately brings life to the screen um you know I, I would really recommend this movie to anyone but especially mothers and more specifically new mothers um i think it's important that movies like this get made um and i, I really think this movie will keep you on your toes so go check out tully starring Charlize theron all right, we're there. We're back to what normal people do, which is a top 10 list. Coming in at number 10 in mind is a movie that I just talked about in the last pod, so I won't get too in-depth, but it's Mary Poppins Returns, starring Emily Blunt as the title character. It's a sequel to the 1964 classic, starring Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke. Um, as I said in the original review, it's really more of a slightly altered remake than a sequel because every plot point has a companion in the original. Um, but I do think it goes a different way at the end of the movie, and I really appreciated that because it sort of puts its own twist on the story that we know and love. 
I love that this movie was made in the spirit of the original Mary Poppins. Uh, it's colorful. The songs feel like they could have been released in 1960, which I think is great because a whole new generation can experience it in the same way that their parents did. Um, I love that some factors, like the kite, uh, is brought back to play a factor in the story. Emily Blunt is perfect as Mary Poppins. I don't think you could have gotten a more perfect casting. I mentioned on the uh, original uh, podcast about this, which we just recorded a couple days ago, that uh, Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. is one that comes to mind of like a perfect casting that's just a match made in heaven. Um, but I really had fun with Mary Poppins. I think it's something that you can all go see with the family. Everyone can enjoy it together. Um, you can sing the songs. Uh, I said it was not practically perfect in every way, but it was pretty damn close, and it's good enough to be in my top ten. Um, so go check out Mary Poppins Returns. At number nine on my countdown is one of the more odd movies that was released in 2018. It's called Sorry to Bother You. It was directed and written by Boots Riley and stars Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, um, and a host of other talented actors. The plot summary on IMDb, in an ultimate present-day version of Oakland, telemarketer Cassius Green discovers a magical key to professional success, propelling him into a universe of greed. Um, I can't really tell you what this movie's about. You kind of just have to watch it. Um, but it does feel sort of like Get Out 2.0. It feels like it's made in the vein of Get Out, where it's trying to take a satirical look at society and race and corporate greed and all sorts of stuff along those lines. Uh, this movie starts out fairly normal about a down-on-his-luck guy looking for a job, but about an hour and 15 minutes in, it goes in a complete left turn into crazy town. Um, and I don't mean that as a bad thing. I think that this movie is so clever in the way that it's trying to deliver this message. It's so singular and unique that it's a movie that everyone needs to see. I was honestly surprised by how much I liked this movie. Um, you have to keep an open mind going into it. You have to, when you're watching it, you have to realize that what you're watching is pretty wacky and zany. Um, but I think the look of this movie, how specific it is in its characters and their motivations and how they're developed and written uh, is wonderful. It's got some clever commentary on race, which I, I'm always a big fan of, especially in this day and age. Um, so sorry to bother you is maybe a movie you didn't hear, but, uh, you know, take some time to uh, bother your busy schedule and check out Sorry to Bother You because we've all had those telemarketers call us before, but never quite like this. So check it out. We'll travel back into superhero land for my number eight movie of the year. It's Deadpool 2. This is, of course, starring Ryan Reynolds as the foul-mouthed, fourth-wall-breaking superhero Deadpool and a sequel to Deadpool 1. Um, this movie, again, uh, takes the prior appearances of Deadpool in Marvel films and just smashes the image and takes it in a whole new direction. The rated R tone of this movie compared to the Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy or even other X-Men films other than Logan is a world that is so unique to Deadpool. He fits into it so well. It's just a perfect fit. This movie is funny as hell. I think it's even funnier than the first, which is saying a lot. Um, I, I do think the movie's maybe a little bit too self-aware and wacky sometimes. You know, they'll, t they'll have like a tender, heartfelt moment, and then that's immediately usurped by like a goofy line or wisecrack. So I would have liked that maybe if it stood took itself a little more seriously once in a while, because I do think this movie actually has a message here uh, about Deadpool trying to become the hero that he's supposed to be to do some good in the world. 
it's a perfect role for Ryan Reynolds because it's it's quick. It requires quick and witty lingo, jammed with cultural references, um, which I think that Ryan Reynolds does so well. Um, I love the music in this. We go from everything from ACDC to rap music to dubstep to opera. Um, you know, the, which is interesting because it sort of embodies the tone of the movie, which goes from a comedy to an ultra-violent action movie, to a heartfelt drama, to a superhero movie. Um, it's kind of all over the place. It's not a family film. Uh, definitely don't watch it with your kids, but it's very fun to watch. It's awesome, but gory. The hand-to-hand -hand contact and fighting is amazing. There's sort of this uh, kung fu uh, homage throughout it. Um, I just think it's awesome. It has a good villain with Josh Brolin. Um, so I just love the first Deadpool in this one. They really sort of are bringing out a different side of the Marvel Universe. Um, so Deadpool 2 is up there for me uh, as my number 8 film of 2018. Alright, we're going to head out to the Old West for the number 7 movie on my countdown. It's The Ballad of Buster Scruggs from directors Joel and Ethan Cohen, who also wrote and produced it. Uh, this is an anthology film comprising six stories, each dealing with a different aspect of life in the Old West. Um, this movie is on Netflix, um, so you can get it. It's right at your fingertips. Um, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is actually just one of six stories within the film, which is presented like someone is flipping through an old book and actually reading the story. Uh, each story starts with an illustration that later appears on screen when the story is playing out. Um... The reason I love this so much is they're all wonderfully simple stories, and while they're certainly about Western tropes like saloons and quick-draw showdowns, prospecting, wagging trains, stagecoaches, etc., they're all so unique in the way they are presented. Uh, the script is clever and witty and filled with jabs and strange dialogue accented by dark humor um, that really maybe captures this version of the Old West that is at least the way we like to think it looked like. Uh, the film looks amazing, and the stories all take place in various locations throughout the American frontier, uh, whether it's snowy mountains or a lush grass-covered valley or a dusty plain. Um, I think it all comes really well across on screen. Um, there's lots of violence in this, almost Tarantino-esque violence, so it's definitely not a kid's movie. Um, but it's fun to see. It features an ensemble cast of big-name actors that sort of come in and out on screen depending on which story is being told, and then they're just gone. Um, I just had a really fun time watching this movie, and it's been well, re really well received at the Academy Awards, which I did not expect. It received four nominations. Um, so this is a movie that a lot of people have enjoyed. Go check out The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It's on Netflix. My number six movie is A Star is Born. I don't think I need to go too in-depth into this movie, uh, but it stars Lady Gaga as an up-and-coming pop artist who is taken under her wing by her lover, uh, who is a sort of a fading country artist played by Bradley Cooper. It's the fourth or fifth remake of this exact story, um, but it's Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, uh, as well as Sam Elliott, who plays uh, Bradley Cooper's much-older brother, the performances really carry this movie. Uh, the chemistry between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga is electric. Um, the movie does a remarkable job of sort of capturing their chemistry and the dynamics they have with each other. Um, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga both sing in this, and the music is incredible, particularly with Shallow, uh, a movie or a, a song that is performed between the two of them that was nominated for Best Original Song. 
And I, I really like that this movie sort of really hones in on the two of them and their relationship. It doesn't really focus on a whole lot of outside noise. It's an intensely intimate and personal movie, despite it being about two super famous musicians. And I really like that. It doesn't really do a, a whole lot with what fame is and what it does do a person. Uh, for the most part, these people are just who they are and they're in love. And I, and I really uh, appreciated that. Uh, ultimately, this is a heartbreaking movie, but it doesn't feel like that throughout it because you're just watching these two people portrayed by these amazing artists and their connection is just so obvious. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of all the remakes and reboots that seem to be infesting Hollywood, um, but this movie does go to show that if the film is done right, uh, it can be a thing of beauty for a whole new generation to enjoy. Uh, I think A Star is Born is going to clean up uh, at the Academy Awards, so you'll make sure to see it before that happens. Back to Superhero Land for the top five. Uh, my number five movie is another one I don't think I need to say a whole lot about. It's Avengers Infinity War. Um, I just love the scope and scale of a movie like this that had 20-plus important badass characters to juggle. I think it was so ambitious and almost unprecedented to try and do something like this. Um, you know, it took 10 years worth of films, 18 movies worth of characters to, to bring this thing together. Uh, to see all these characters on screen together was awesome. The different team-ups, the cool pairings, you know, seeing them all together on the screen, working together and trading jabs and all these macho men trying to all get to the top of the pedestal was awesome. Um, I thought the Russo brothers did an amazing job of skipping around to all the different characters. Um, you know, there was there was a lot to get to, you know. Uh, two and a half hour movie and still they didn't have time to get to everything I think they wanted to. Um, but for the most part, I thought they did justice to all the major characters. Um, you, you watch this movie and the set pieces are amazing. The fight scenes are epic. Um, the movie does a, an incredible job of showing the weaknesses of some of the particular superheroes and how they might be vulnerable in a certain way. This movie was funny as hell. I thought it was well-timed. You know, there's a lot of serious moments in this movie, particularly uh, the, the ending, which I won't give away, but I think most people know what has gone on at this point. Um, but the humor was really well-timed within this story. I, I laughed a lot harder than I thought I would. Um, if you are at all interested in superheroes or comic books or Marvel, you, you got to watch this movie. You needed to watch it multiple times. It's, it's now on Netflix. Um, so... I had a great time with this movie. The scope was amazing. I'm super looking forward to Avengers Infinity War or Avengers Endgame, uh, which is coming out this year in April. So that leads off my top five, Avengers Infinity War. At number four is the first documentary on my list. It's Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, the documentary about Fred Rogers, who was the star of uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for years. Um, I thought this was just a powerhouse. You know, I, I vaguely remember watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood with the goofy puppets and the quirky songs and how he would come out and put the cardigan on. Um, but this movie deals with Fred Rogers, and he was a, a minister, so there's faith and religious motifs littered throughout the movie. Um, but sort of like Mr. Rogers himself, it's not overtly obvious in that it's preaching to you. Um, you know, it, it's... It, it, this movie makes you sort of think about the type of person you are, how you treat people, and it, it really makes you think about how you can, can, can make a difference in people's lives and the people that have made a difference in your life and what you can be grateful for. Um, you know, it, I think the movie does a good job identifying Fred, Rod Fred Rogers' flaws. It doesn't treat him like he was a 
you know, perfect person, which maybe when we think back, we sort of view him in that way. Um, the, the documentary includes his kids, it has his wife, his friends, his colleagues, they're all on board, there's never before seen footage, um, and I think it really gets into the psyche and philosophy of who he was and what he was trying to portray uh, through his show. This movie got snubbed, in my opinion, to not be nominated for Best Documentary Feature. Uh, it was really phenomenal, got to the heart, hit you right in the feels. It's an extremely powerful and moving film, even if you're not into the religious side of things. Um, I think you will find this very interesting. Uh, so Won't You Be My Neighbor is my number four movie of 2018. At number three is one of the best action movies I've ever seen. It is Mission Impossible Fallout, directed by Christopher McQuarrie and starring Tom Cruise. Mission Impossible is a series that started in 1999 and is, of course, known for its incredible action sequences. I feel like this movie took it to another level. Uh, McQuarrie really has a talent for staging action sequences. He knows how to put you in the middle of a chaotic sequence but make it feel digestible, and it happens over and over in this movie. You know, uh, this movie has a lot of fun playing on all the hallmarks of the series, like Tom Cruise running across rooftops, riding a motorcycle, impersonating people through masks, um, you know, the iconic din, nan, 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 only shows up in the best moments, and, but it's sort of subtle in other ones. I was really on the edge of my seat the entire time I watched this movie. I was so into the action. Uh, it took a good three hours for my heartbeat to come down after watching this. This is everything an action movie should be. Um, I, I believe it should have been nominated for Best Picture and even more, but again, the Academy doesn't like to uh, give nods to such films like this. Regardless, go see it in IMAX if it's still available somewhere. There's lots of globe trotting. It goes to Paris, to London, to Kashmir. There's cool twists and turns, good villains, uh, easily the best installment in the Mission Impossible series and one of the best action movies I've ever seen. That's Mission Impossible Fallout, my number three movie of 2018. The final two movies in my countdown, I had a hard time deciding what should be one and what should be two, but coming in at number two is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Again, this is a movie that we just reviewed not too long ago, so I don't need to repeat myself too much, but a couple of the highlights. This movie did a great job playing up the Spider-Man mythos and what it means to be a Spider-Man, what the power of the character is, and what he needs to do to keep everyone safe. Um, this movie has amazing animation. It's almost ripped from a comic book. It's like watching a comic book come to life, and I really loved it on screen. Don't watch it if you have... Uh, <laughs> trouble with motion sickness or seizures because this movie probably will give it to you. This movie's chock full with self-aware meta jokes of of knowing what's going on. It influences and references all the other Spider-Man movies that have come out over the last couple decade. Uh, it's a little bit chaotic at times, but it's really colorful. It's all over the place. Um, it's fun. It's funny. I think it has a great message at its core between uh, a teenage boy and his relationship with adult uh, men. Again, this is a movie similarly to Black Panther that deals with a uh, half Latino, half African American lead, so it provides uh, an outlet and maybe a representation for uh, minorities, which I think is important, particularly in the superhero genre. Um, so I loved everything about this movie. It's, it's one of my favorites of the year, uh, and it's an animated film that's easily going to win the Best Animated Feature category, I think, and it should have been nominated for Best Picture, in my opinion. Uh, my number two movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. 
And finally, 50 minutes later, the number one movie, in my opinion, from 2018 is Green Book. This movie is directed by Peter Farrelly and tells the story of uh, Dr. Don Shirley and his concert tour through the South in the 1960s, and particularly his relationship with Tony Lip, uh, who was a tough-nosed New York bouncer that was taken along to be his bodyguard and driver. This movie stars Mahershala Ali as Don Shirley and Viggo Mortensen as Tony Lip, and they deliver amazing performances in this. The dynamics between the two of them are incredible. It's hilarious. Uh, it's heartfelt at times, and it really feels like both of them are coming from a genuine place. Uh, there's lots of dynamics in this movie about Ali's place in the world and how that develops in the story because he is an educated rich black man who can't identify with his white uh, peers that are in the same sort of demographic, but he also can't identify with the African Americans because not many of them in this time period were in his situation. So uh, the movie does a great job sort of pointing out his struggles. Um, there's an incredible script that these two amazing, talented actors are working off of. Oddly enough, I compare this film in ways to Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, the movie starring John Candy and Steve Martin that came out in the late 80s, uh, because it's a buddy road trip uh, with two mismatched leads who ultimately learn from something from each other. There's even a theme about getting home for the holidays. Um, so obviously this is a movie that deals with a little bit more serious subject matter, but I do think there are some parallels there in the way that these two guys learn from each other and come together and ultimately become friends. Uh, it's one of the real feel-good crowd-pleaser movies of the year uh, in the end, and I just think it's... It, I did, Similarly to last year when I when I ranked three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri as my number one movie, I didn't have a better time at the theater this year than I did watching Green Book. So it is my number one movie of 2018. So there you go. That's 25 movies all ranked down. Just a brief blurb about each of them. Like I said, most of these movies have been reviewed on the podcast before, so you can go back and find the episodes if you want to hear more about them. I just gave kind of Cliff Notes brief summary versions. Um, before I check off, I just want to make sure to thank everyone who's been listening to us throughout 2018 and the early portion of 2019. We could not do this without you. We appreciate your support. We're going to be coming back at it soon uh, with uh, reviewing some new movies coming out. And also we'll have Oscar predictions coming up. Uh, but until then, we'll see you next time and we'll see you at the movies.